Blog Talk Radio. That's right. The boys are back in town. It is the Zero Technique podcast. Uh, we are brought to you by BacksportsPage.com. Always make sure you're checking out the great stuff that's going up at BacksportsPage.com. We've got great writers putting out great content daily. Uh, so make sure you're uh, staying in tune with that. Uh, follow on Twitter at BacksportsPage, Facebook.com slash BacksportsPage. Uh, I'm your co-host, Ryan Stern. You can find me on Twitter at rstern33 and joined, uh, joined all, as always, by my co-host, Jared Zero. How are you doing, Jared? I'm doing excellent. How are you today, Ryan? Oh, well, it is a brand new era for, uh, for the Giants as we are seeing uh, the end of the Daniel Jones, uh, uh, the end of the Eli Manning era and the beginning of the Daniel Jones era starting week three in Tampa. Uh, We will get into that in a couple minutes. We will be joined by Chris Bisignano from uh, Giant Insider uh, to talk about uh, everything that's going on inside the locker room and whether or not this is the right move at the right time for the Giants. Uh, But we need to talk uh, about two major injuries uh, that, that are really changing the, the landscape of the NFL right now. And we saw week two, two uh, Hall of Fame quarterbacks get hurt. One is out for the year. One is uh, out for probably six to eight weeks. And for me, I, I think we should start with the more impactful injury. And it's because it's the better team. And that's Drew Brees. Uh, Drew Brees goes to throw a pass. Uh, his hand hits Aaron Donald and there's ligament damage done in his thumb. And it looks like he's out for a minimum six to eight weeks. Uh, what do you think the trajectory from the, uh, for the saints is over these uh, next two months or so? Well, for me, I think it's just, they have to put their, their faith in, in uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, Drew Brees going down is a huge, huge thing for that team. And it kind of gives that whole division more of an opening as, I mean, the Panthers are off to a pretty bad start. You know, the, the Saints are one and one and now no Drew Brees. So, I mean, putting the faith in Teddy Bridgewater, I feel like is their best move. He's, you know, he, he's got the experience being with that team He's, he's got the experience from, you know, just being in the league for as long as he has. So I think that kind of gives them a little bit more of a chance to remain somewhat stable. I think, you know, if Drew Brees is actually going to be out for six to eight weeks, if it's six, you know, if the team can manage to go even just three and three, I think with Drew Brees coming back, then it would be, they would still have a chance to make the playoffs. So I think just putting their faith in Teddy Bridgewater is the way to go. But, I mean, man, that that injury is absolutely devastating for that team, especially if they can't squeeze out a couple of wins while Drew Brees is out. 
Yeah, and from uh, what what we're hearing from Sean Payton is don't expect it to just be the Teddy Bridgewater show. Uh, we're going to see a lot of Taysom Hill uh, plugged into the offense. And we even saw last year when Drew Brees was healthy, Taysom Hill got a couple plays a game to, to be featured in the offense. And he he gives the offense just a completely different look. And... Uh, I know the the usual thing is if you use two quarter if you have two quarterbacks you have none and but especially when you're using two quarterbacks within uh, the same game plan but I I'm real interested to see how much we get to see of Taysom Hill uh, because I, from what I have heard Sean Payton loves what Taysom Hill brings to the team. Now, obviously, he's not your prototypical quarterback. He's not going to throw passes from the pocket. A lot of what he's going to bring is because of his athleticism. Uh, We've seen it with him being lined up as a wide receiver. Uh, We've seen him lined up as a wildcat quarterback. Uh, So he he does bring a lot of different looks to the offense. how much do you think uh, we, we see from Taysom Hill? I think you see the same amount that we saw with him last year is, you know, he was in a, maybe every third or fourth play or even, even more of a separation in terms of how often he was playing. But I, I think we see a very similar or respectable amount uh, snap count compared to what he played last year. I, I think it's going to be a very similar number. Um, simply because, like I said, the Saints are going to benefit a lot more from the style of play that Teddy Bridgewater can deliver, especially, like I said, being, being I want to say, more similar to Drew Brees in the aspect that he can th- get those passes to, to people like Michael Thomas and get the ball to Alvin Kamara when need be. So I, I do think it is going to, to be a very similar count to what Taysom Hill saw last year. Yeah, and I, I know you had brought up uh, if they can manage to go three and three, and and I think that that should be the benchmark because we are seeing teams within that division, and both of us expected uh, this division to be one of the toughest ones in all of football, and we're seeing maybe what we were expecting out of Tampa Bay. But I think both of us expected a lot more out of Carolina. A lot has to do with, uh, with, with Cam Newton and his injury, and we'll get into that later in the show. Uh, and the inconsistency of the Atlanta Falcons, where if they can manage to hover around 500 until Drew Brees comes back, I, I do think that they still will have a playoff chance uh, what once uh, once we do see Breeze come back, uh, there was another big injury, and that was Ben Roethlisberger uh, with uh, with an elbow injury. He is out for the year, and so now we see Mason Rudolph come in, and the the Steelers really confused me this week because we we see that, and and I know a lot of people think that Mason Rudolph is one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league, and he might be. Uh, he doesn't have a great arm. 
but he may be okay for this system. Um, but you can't expect with a, a backup quarterback to just have, have instant success and make the playoffs. And here they go and they trade their first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick for the Dolphins. And we'll get into the Dolphins in, uh, later on in the show. But what do you think is going on with Pittsburgh with the, the whole transitioning to Mason Rudolph and making this trade, trading their first round draft pick, which may end up being a top five to 10 pick in the draft, depending on uh, what we see out of Rudolph? Well, for me, I think it's a lot more that the Steelers organization, I feel like they have a lot more faith in Mason Rudolph than people are giving both the Steelers and Mason credit for. I really think that with what they've seen out of him, that they've had him for the last couple of years, backing up uh, Big Ben, and I think the the education and the experience he's got behind Big Ben with the team, I do think that Mason Rudolph can successfully help out the team. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Mason Rudolph is the key to all their problems because he's not. The, the Steelers have problems outside of whether Big Ben's healthy or not. But I do think that transitioning from Big Ben, because I, I do think this injury is severe enough that where Big Ben's older in the league and whatnot, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he were to call it quits after this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ben Roethlisberger retire. And I think very similar to what's going on with the Giants, this is a great way to turn – the team to Mason Rudolph and kind of have that put that faith in him to try and lead the team being younger. Now I know the Steelers did just sign Paxton Lynch. And I think that's just so they have more depth at for quarterback in case Mason Rudolph does get injured. So, you know, it's hard to say what's really going to come out of it and what the Steelers can do. But if Mason Rudolph is as good as the Steelers think he is, then I think their trade for the first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick was very good, Sim- simply because I can see that pick being uh, like the middle of the first round, maybe 15th or 16th pick. Yeah. Uh, well, we will uh, continue the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers talk uh after we are joined by our guest and we'd like to welcome uh from giant insider uh chris bizignano uh welcome to the show chris how are you this evening good good thanks for having me on how are you guys uh we're great and uh so i i heard it's been a quiet week over in uh, in east rutherford <laughs> yeah not much going on you know a little practice today wrap up and we all went home <laughs> <laughs> no, New York City was a very, uh, very uh, not hectic, but a very interesting and very busy day around uh, Quest Diagnostics today. Now, before we get into actually what's going on between Jones and Eli, what's the mood in the locker room? Uh, is this a locker room that is ready for this transition? and is excited about the transition or do you think it's there there's a bit of hesitancy uh because they've relied on Eli for so long no it's a very positive locker room 
talked to numerous guys today. They all feel the Jones kid is ready to go. Uh, no hesitation when you ask some plays. They ask some plays on the side, you know, that kept it between me and them. And they all feel very confident in Jones. It's like a bittersweet deal where Eli's loved. And a lot of guys have it, whoa, man, you know, it sucks what happened to Eli. But we're very confident in the new kid. So very positive locker room. I talk to offensive linemen, talk to receivers, and they all feel Jones is ready to go. They all kind of understand what's going on. Nobody's, like, walking around like, oh, why does Sherman do this? You know, is he throwing him a towel? <laughs> Are we giving up the seat? None of that stuff. Um, pretty confident uh, that the Jones kid, who was very impressive in preseason, but as we all know, that's preseason. But they were all very confident in his kid taking over Sunday. So I'll take the next question. So I, I do have to know, <laughs> what do you think is going to be the next step for Eli? You know, I know he has the no trade clause in his contract. So do you think he sticks around after this season to try and mentor Daniel Jones some more? Or do you think he retires? I, I, I need to know the vibe that is in the locker room for that. Well, this is Eli's last year of his contract. So he's not going to be here next year. Uh, as far as, if he wants to continue playing, he definitely wants to continue playing football. He definitely feels he has a lot of football left, and he does have some football left. Now, there's going to be two things. One, does he want to relocate? He absolutely loves being a giant. Does he want to go to another team? Two, does he want to move his family? Is this something he has to discuss? You know, Eli's a family man. He just had a, a boy seven months ago, and he might not want to you know, have the family relocate to somewhere else. So there's some factors. He talked about it today that he's going to have to sit down with his family. He's going to have to decide himself what he wants to do. Does he want to put on another jersey? Okay. That time will tell. Eli is going to think about this a lot. Um, he's not going to be playing. Unless, you know, listen, unless Jones gets injured or he's totally over his head, he's not going to play anymore this year. Um, so, and he's not back next year. He's not going to get another contract with the Giants. So he's going to have to decide. And now, and the third question is going to be, is there any takers for Eli? What team would be interested in his services? So those three, these, those three questions are on the table, and only time is going to determine that. And when I was sort of going over just like a, a lot of the questions that you were just uh, contemplating, and especially the whole, is there another team that he would waive his no-trade clause for? And right mm-hmm. now – the one that makes the most and probably only sense is Jacksonville. Uh, right now they're going with a sixth round rookie quarterback who uh, in his first spot of, of playing where he came in for Nick Foles looked pretty good. Uh, but when you had a team get a full week of preparation for him, uh, the Houston Texans did a, a number to on, uh, on Gardner Minshew there. And I, I don't think you can expect much out of him this year. Uh, you have Eli being very comfortable with, with Tom Coughlin, obviously. And I think if he goes to Jacksonville, he's the best quarterback on their roster and he, he would be the starter. Uh, do you think that Jacksonville is a potential landing spot for him? No, nah, I really don't because Foles, should be back after eight weeks, right? I mean, Foles is, you know, he's on the IR, but he's one of those guys that could be eligible to come off. 
And then what happens then? They're going to go back to Foles, right? I mean, they just gave him that big contract. I know everybody likes to tie Eli with Coughlin and all that, but I think Eli, if he goes to a place and waves his no trade, uh, it's going to be to a contender. And is Jacksonville a contender right now? I mean, everybody had him a contender last year. They were hard, 5-11. They got guys fighting with coaches. It's a total, complete mess down there right now. Um, they're all going to. Um, Eli jumps in there, and then what happens when Foles comes back? And now what would be, Mike, seven weeks, right? So now you're going to have that old again. So I know people automatically tie Eli there because of the Coughlin factor, but no, I don't see Eli waving that for Jacksonville. The team that I would think that Eli would go to if, you know, he waived the no-trade clause, I was thinking the Jets. I think – Staying in New York would be a good thing for Eli, especially with the Jets being on their third-string quarterback right now and how long, you know, Trevor Simeon's going to be out and how long Sam Darnold's going to be out. So I do think that if Eli was to go anywhere, it would be the Jets. What are your thoughts on that? No, absolutely no way. No way would he go, would he go to the Jets. First of all, Sam Darnold's going to be back in about three weeks. So, um, I mean, maybe tops four, you know, depending on his spleen and the mono and all that. So, it's not like Donald's out the rest of the year, you know. Uh, he's going to be back soon. And, guys, Eli loves the Giants organization, loves the Giant uniform. I don't ever envision a way uh, seeing him, I should say, seeing him ever going to the Jets. No, I don't. All right, so just as the Giants transitioned from Eli to Daniel Jones, uh, we'll, we'll make that transition now. And I know there are a lot of people who are questioning whether or not this was the right time to make the transition. And I think the the one thing that I had when I was talking about this with Randy was that I wanted Daniel Jones's first game to be on the road. I didn't want the added pressure of – uh, him playing in front of the home crowd in front of the entire New York media uh, to just add to his, his first start. So I think it, it's perfect that it is on the road, but does Daniel Jones give the giants the best chance at winning football games right now? No, obviously not. Not right now. I mean, uh, to say he gives them a better chance than Eli Manning is no, but here's the thing. It's like, okay, the defense can't stop anybody. Eli right. is hearing boos already in the first home game. Okay? I think this organization quickly realized that, hey, we're not going nowhere. Okay? Let's get the kid in there. Sherman wants to do a little bit more on the offense. Just couldn't do it with Eli. I think he wants to open it up more as far as zone reads, RPOs, and all that. Sherman, like you said today, he just decided, you know what? we got to change this up. We're in the end zone twice here, you know, two drives. We've only had two good drives in two games. Let's do some different things. And you know what, guys? They don't want the – this organization loves Eli Manning like a son. Tish, Mara, they all love him. They don't want to see this guy go out there and get booed every week because you already saw it last week, and it's going to get even worse as the weeks go on. So does he give him a chance right now, a better chance for the Giants to win? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, if he comes out, lights it up Sunday, then yeah. Do you expect that? No. You know, um, but it's just a matter of 
let's get the sixth overall pick in and let's get this rolling for his future. Let's Sherman get a hold of him now for 14 games and do what he wants to do with him in his offense. Uh, last one for me. Is this Pat Shermer's uh, last stand at trying to save his job? Because uh, this was another thing that Randy and I were talking about. Uh, Pat, the Giants going 4-12 and with Eli Manning doesn't look nearly as good for him as if they go 4-12 and with Daniel Jones. Is this... Yep about Pat Shermer trying to save his job, why he's going to him this early? You know, guys, that's a great question. Um, you hit it right in the head. If they stuck with Eli for like, say, even, even argument's sake, it was 12 games, and they were 2-10. and 10. Not very good for the resume, right? Not very good reflection on Pat Shermer. So, yeah, you could vote it. You know what? It could be a point of the seat's getting a little warm now for Shermer. And you know what? If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down doing it my way. I'm going to go down with the kid. I'm going to bring him, you know, he's the kid we like, he's the kid we drafted, and I'm going to go with him. Because, like you said, if they would have won 12 games, 14 games, let's say argument's sake the whole season, and they go 4-12, and 12, yeah, not a good look on Sherma. Yeah, he might not make it for the 2020. So it's a valid point, man. I, you know, I think Sherma might have been a little bit like, okay, you know what? If I'm going to go down with this ship, I'm going to go down my way, you know. So, yeah, a very distinct possibility that was part of it. Uh, Chris, want to yeah. thank you for giving us a few minutes tonight. Uh, why don't you let our listeners know where they can uh, find your stuff and where they can find you on social media? Yeah, you can find it on Twitter, at Giant Insider. You can listen to the podcast, the Giant Insider podcast, with me and Jerry Foley, senior editor. And you can subscribe, giantinsider.com, to the newspaper, uh, which is a bi-weekly newspaper. And thank, thanks, guys, for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for the time. And uh, we look forward to uh, speaking with you uh, later on in the season. Okay, you got it. Thank you. Uh, so we had some really interesting uh, feedback from him. And uh, I guess I was – mildly shocked when he said how positive the locker room was uh, only because I was expecting maybe a little bit more of a, a negativity because of maybe some loyalty to Eli Manning. But uh, what was your takeaway from, from, from that? You know, I actually wasn't as surprised as I feel most people would be hearing that. I think it's very similar to what he was saying where the energy in the locker room is wanting to get the new kid acclimated, wanting to get Daniel Jones into that system and get him familiar with it just so they can get into that next phase of, for the team. So I'm not as shocked as, as uh, you might be considering that, you know, I, I get it. I completely understand. I would, if I'm in that position, I want to put Daniel Jones in, get him acclimated and get him going as fast as possible. So I, I, think, uh, I think that's the right, the right attitude to have, especially because you don't want to go into a locker room, and especially as a rookie quarterback, being made the starter and then having everyone be like, oh, well, we're not very excited to have him start. It might be discouraging. So I think it's the right, the right way that the team is handling it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was 
I, I was actually pleasantly surprised with the decision. And one of the questions I had asked him was whether or not he thought Daniel Jones gave the Giants the best chance to win games right now. And obviously, Pat Shermer is trying to win as many games as possible because he is looking out for his job right now. I think he, he realizes, uh, like, uh, like Chris said, seat's a little warm right now. Uh, and, but where a lot of people who have been with the franchise, uh, who have been around the franchise, I, I'm starting to hear a lot of them say that, Daniel Jones doesn't necessarily give them the best chance to win football games right now, but maybe it will a, a few weeks from now. I'm not so sure about that. Uh, now, granted, the 0-2 start is not on Eli Manning. Uh, has he been great? No, not close to it. But it is not Eli Manning's fault that the Giants' defense can't stop anything. Uh, they've, it's just been absolutely putrid defense, <laughs> which I, I think we were expecting. And there were, like I said, there, there were so, a lot of people think that Daniel Jones doesn't necessarily give them the best chance to win. I think he does. I think he brings an added mobility to the team, which I think in today's NFL if you're not going to be as prolific a passer from the pocket as someone like a Tom Brady, a Drew Brees, you need to be able to move around the pocket. Not, and I'm not saying you need to get, get rushing yards. I think, although I do think that you can see 20 to 30 rushing yards a game from, uh, from someone like Daniel Jones. I think that's well within the realm of possibilities, but he offers a, a much needed change in mobility from the pocket. Uh, and I, I think he may give them a better chance to win football games right now. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I, I do like Daniel Jones. Um, the, the big thing for me is that he reminds me of a younger Eli. So I feel like with everything at the end of the day, like you said, I think Daniel Jones does give them a better chance to win games, not only for what he's bringing to the table, but because of his play style and the way he can move, he, the way he can move around. So I agree. I, I do think that Daniel Jones does give them the best chance to win games. And it may not be this week, but it definitely could be next week. So it's, it's going to be very exciting to see what comes next for the Giants. And uh, before we get into our week two takeaways, I just wanted to finish our discussion with, uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, I didn't necessarily think that this was a good team before the Roethlisberger injury. So I know you were saying that you still think that they can be somewhere in the, 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 the early to mid teens. I, I don't know if I was, necessarily expecting them to be there even with Roethlisberger I think the defense is not what you would expect from any Pittsburgh Steelers defense because uh, yeah you're they're the steel curtain 
they're, that's what they're known for. They're known for shutting you down and always finding a way uh, to, to have a good defense, no matter who is out there. This isn't the, those Steelers. It, it's not a good defense. And so I guess that's why I was a little bit more, <coughs> excuse me, um, confused about the Fitzpatrick trade. And this is now for what I, and now Minka Fitzpatrick could very well be worth a top 10 pick in next year's draft. Uh, he, he's that good of a player, but you're now looking at a team who, if they're in the top 10 or dare I even say the top five, they now just traded away what could be their future quarterback taken in the draft. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, it, it's going to go back to what I said about Mason Rudolph. I really do think the Steelers have much more faith in him than what everyone's kind of giving them credit for. I do think that he, the faith they have in him is what's giving them the motivation to obviously start him and see what he can, what he can do. And I do think that if he does what the team is expecting out of him, which it could be, you know, a 500 mark uh, season or, you know, I don't think they're going to have a great winning record. I, they, they might go, you know, six and 10, seven and nine, but I think that would be more than enough for the Steelers to say, you know what? We put our faith in Mason Rudolph. He gave us what we expected. This guy is going to be our quarterback. So that's why I think the Minka Fitzpatrick trade wasn't a bad idea simply because it does help improve their defense and they, they think they have their guy in Mason Rudolph. So, you know, I look at the, I'm trying to compare it to the situation in Arizona where, you know, they draft Josh Rosen. Oh, he's our guy. He's our guy. We're sticking with him. And then the next year they ship him out for Kyler Murray. And I don't blame them, but, you know, to do that to some, to, to a young quarterback, especially someone like Josh Rosen, I, I'm not a fan of those type of moves. And so I do like what the Steelers are doing. And they're saying, you know what? We took Mason Rudolph. We, he's been with us for a couple of years. He's been training with us. He's been learning under Ben Roethlisberger. So we do want to give him his fair shot. And uh, I I think this is almost a perfect transition. Uh, We're going to go into our week two takeaways. Uh, We're each going to give our three biggest takeaways that we saw uh, from week two and my first one, and it's sort of something that has been building up over the past couple of weeks, but I think with this Minka Fitzpatrick trade, we're seeing the first official full season tank job, uh, by the Miami dolphins. Uh, they've already unloaded their star left tackle, Laramie Tunsil for a first round draft pick. They've now, unloaded their star defensive back and Minka Fitzpatrick who really, who can play cornerback or safety uh, for another first round draft pick. So you're looking at a team that has been outscored 102 to 10 in the, in the first two weeks of this season. And as astonishing as it sounds, it may not even be that close because you, you, 
I mean, the the Ravens really put it to him week one, but the Patriots offense didn't do a whole lot in that game. You saw the, the two late pick sixes from Ryan Fitzpatrick, but the, the, the Patriots offense didn't look nearly as good as they did week one against uh, Pittsburgh. But so I, I think that we're really seeing the first official tank job in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's sad because I feel like tanking your season on purpose should come with some sort of penalty behind it. You know, I, I don't think it's fair to just go out there and not even try playing when there are other teams that go out, they will show up. And even if they lose, you know, they're still trying. I'm going to take, take the 0-16 Browns, for example, from last year or two years ago. They, they came out, they played every game. It's just they lost every game. They, they, had lead, on, they had leads in a lot of those games. Right. So being able to just fully tank a season without any sort of penalty, I think, is, uh, is kind of atrocious. It's disrespectful to the fans. It's disrespectful to the players. So, you know, I feel like if they are purposely tanking, which it, all the signs are pointing to it, I think the Dolphins need to just cover it up better at least try to show up. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And I think that's why, you know, like we talked about last week with the up-in-the-air status if Antonio Brown was going to debut for the Patriots, that's possibly another reason as to why he did play. He led the team in receiving yards for 56. And, you know, I think it was just more the Patriots were just trying different things because they knew they could get away with it. They wanted yeah. to try to get Antonio Brown acclimated and it was more like a scrimmage to them or, or a preseason game than an actual, you know, week two game in the regular season. Uh, what's your, uh, your first takeaway? My first takeaway is the Green Bay Packers defense. You know, we talked about this and how they shut down the Bears, whose offense is led by a floppy Mitch Trubisky, which could be fairly inconsistent, we'll say. They played against Minnesota this past week, and they won 21-16. to I think Minnesota's offense is pretty solid. You know, they might not have the best quarterback in Kirk Cousins, but, you know, Stefan Diggs has been playing relatively well, and that whole offense is, is a solid, solid offense that can score points. And I think with Green Bay holding them to only 16 points, and, you know, I, I, I think they are on the verge of proving that they are one of the best defenses in the league. And I think the more they play, you know, tougher opponents and tougher offenses, you're really going to going to see that shine but I do think that the Packers are on their way of proving what we were talking about that they could possibly have the best defense yeah I mean this was one of my takeaways from week one was whether or not the Green Bay defense was for real and I, I think you're absolutely right this is the Minnesota offense is loaded with talent and now I know 
every, everyone says the, the next time Kirk Cousins wins a big game will be the first. Uh, but he's still got the talent and he's still got the talent around him to be a successful quarterback in the league. The Packers defense is, is just starting to show up as one of those defenses that we, we always see happen. uh, We always see one team just have a defense that no one expected to be as good as they are. A couple of years ago, when the, when the giants went to uh, the playoffs, when they lost to the Packers, they had an 11 and five season. And it was not because of the offense. Uh, the offense, I believe that year was like 24th or 25th in, in total offense. They were there because the strength of that defense. And it was one that no one saw coming. Uh, I know that that was the year that they had added uh, Vernon. They added Jenkins. But I don't think anyone had ever thought that it could be what it actually had become. This defense has the makings of that. We, we we saw the like I had said last week, the big big time addings of Adrian Amos, uh, Jair Alexander really starting to to come into his own. Uh, it, it's just a a very solid group of guys. Yeah, I uh, I hundred percent agree and. The Packers defense right now reminds me of the 2015 Denver Broncos defense. Denver's Denver's offense, even though it was being led by Peyton Manning, was not great. It, it was a de- it was a it was a pretty decent offense at the time, but that defense just absolutely dominated the whole league. And then they absolutely dominated the Panthers in the Super Bowl. So. I'm seeing a lot of similarities in terms of the type of scores that the the Packers are scoring and their opponents are scoring. And and I'm seeing a, a lot of similarities between them and the 2015 Broncos defense. Yeah. All right. So uh, my, my second takeaway is uh, we, we saw the, the chiefs put a, a nice little whooping on the, on the Raiders. That game was a lot closer, and the the Raiders are better than what the final score will lead you to believe. And this was a, a Kansas City <laughs> team that uh, went uh, just buck wild on the uh, on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who do have a great defense. We saw that. Um, with, with them being able to shut down Deshaun Watson for most of the game uh, in week two. So we, we know the Jaguars have a good defense and the, the chiefs were able to run all over them. The chiefs go into Oakland and beat them 28 to 10. So yeah, it, it does look lopsided, but you take away the second quarter and the Raiders beat them 10, nothing. I mean, Patrick Mahomes just has, maybe the, the, the greatest quarter of football I've ever seen by a quarterback. But he completed, I think it was 
six or uh, five or six passes in a row of 35 yards or more. I mean, it's just stuff that is unheard of in, in football. I mean, the, the Patrick Mahomes is, is absolutely the real deal. He's going to be uh, assuming health uh, goes, goes in his favor for the majority of his career. He's going to go down as one of the best because he has everything you need to be a successful quarterback. But the, <laughs> they, they scored 28 points in one quarter and were shut out the other three. So a, a lot of people are looking at this as uh, the, the Raiders aren't as good as uh, we had expected here. They, they get blown out 28 to 10. This game was a, a lot closer than uh, than that score would lead you to believe. Yeah, I, I I can definitely see that. You know, I think the reason why this score was as far away from each other as it was is due to the fact that the Raiders on offense don't have a ton to go off of. You know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Darren Waller looks like he's going to be he's going to have one of his best seasons. But aside from him, you know, who else does Oakland really have on offense, you know? And you got to take a look at Derek Carr and see he's not what he was a few years ago before his injury. So I think the, I, I do think the Raiders overall are better than what people are expecting, but I think you're going to see a lot of games similar to this one against the Chiefs where, yeah, they're going to play great for a majority of the game, but they're going to end up losing just because they don't have as many options as other teams have. So, I mean, if you look at the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes has, you know, four or five, six different targets on every single play that he can say, I'm going to pass to him, I'm going to pass to him, I'm going to pitch it to the guy behind. Like, he has so many options compared to – what Derek Carr has for options. So I think that's going to be the breaking point for the Raiders. I think that's going to end up what, what ends up biting them in the butt later on in the season. Uh, what's your second takeaway? My second takeaway is the, the Cam Newton situation down in Carolina. And I, I, I was talking to a couple of people about this after the, the game and to me, it almost looks like Cam is being kept on a leash. He, that final play where they, they ran some trick play with Christian McCaffrey and he couldn't get that first down on a half a yard against the Bucks, I think is, you know, something two years ago or even last year before Cam's injury, we would have seen him just go for that first down. We would have seen that QB sneak that he's been exceptional at his whole career and get that, that half a yard. But I think, you know, I'm going to take back what I said about North Turner earlier when we started the podcast. I think that they're holding him back. They're not letting Cam be Cam like everyone wants him to be. They're not letting him have the ball. They're not letting him run. You're seeing Cam play at a level that, he he's required to just be a passing quarterback. He he's not supposed to be a running quarterback. And if you're doing that because you're you're cautious of his injury, that's one thing. But if you're so cautious about it, 
let him heal up. You have Will Greyer, who's not a bad backup. Kyle Allen, who's also not a bad backup. And then you can take those guys, let Cam rehabilitate, and then get back to where he was and just let him do what he does best, and that's be himself. If you let Cam make the – and I'll, again, I, I know I've been talking about the 2015 season a lot tonight, but if you go back and look at that season, it was almost like Cam was running that offense saying what was going to happen, who was going where, and it was working. You know, Cam wants to run. He's going to run. He's going to get, you know, six, seven, eight, nine yards per carry when he was in 2015. So I think you, what has to happen now is Cam Newton needs to rest, get better, and then they have to let him get back to him being himself and going out there and winning. Yeah, so uh, I'm just going to bring this up right here. Uh, now, <laughs> this is uh, – especially if you're a fantasy football player, uh, one that wants to stay on top of the news uh, and get it as quick as possible. There, There is an app called Sleeper that I, I, I don't know I, how, I, how I got my news in the past. I mean, it was obviously nowhere near as quick. Uh, the, the info that they send out is just great. And uh, they sent out an alert saying that uh, Kyle Allen is trending towards being the Panthers starter on Sunday. Uh, Cam has not been able to practice this week. Uh, the, I, I don't know if they think that we're stupid or if they just actually are stupid. Uh before the season, right right after he had the injury, oh his foot's okay. After week one, oh his foot's okay. No, it's nothing wrong with the foot. After week, right after week two, oh no, it's nothing nothing with his foot. Uh, now he's out. Oh yeah, it's his foot. I mean, <laughs> I I don't know what they're trying to pull, but uh, I think that the the declining play in Cam Newton that we uh, are seeing has a lot to do with this injury. Uh, and and it, it's, it's tough because I, I thought that Cam Newton was in line for a great season. He had uh, the, the best group. I thought the best group of playmakers around him that he's had uh, in, in quite some time, if not his entire career. Uh, this injury, I think, is is going to be a, a lot worse than uh, than what people are uh, thinking right now. Yeah, I I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a worse injury. You know, hopefully it's nothing more than just a mild sprain where he's out a couple of weeks. But you you got to take the good with the bad on this one, and you know, the bad is yeah you're going to have another losing season. But the good thing is that if you want Cam to come back in 2020, where people are saying that he's not going to be on the Panthers come next year, then you have to do what's best for his, for him and keep his best intentions for the team. Let him rest, let him get that. So even if you have a losing season, you got to say, Hey, Cam, listen, we know you're Superman. We know that, 
the whole Superman invincibility thing has been your thing, but we need you to get back to that. So take your time, rehabilitate your foot, do what you need to do, and then come out there and be yourself on the field. It, it looks almost as if he's lost his passion for the game. Yep. And it's one, of, it's, it's one of those things where I wish I could go up to him and just say, listen, last year for the first eight games, you were passionate. You had that fire to play. And then your injury happened, and it seemed like that was just all sucked out, and now you're not being yourself. And I don't know if that's the coaches not letting him or if that's just him, but he, he needs to come back out as he was in those first eight games of last year. Uh, let's uh, let's quickly go through our final week uh, week two takeaways. Uh, my third one is: Are the Forty ers for real? And uh, it's sort of seeming like they are. Uh, they're just playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is really coming into uh, in, into his own. Uh, he's got a great young set of. Uh, pass catchers and, and even with Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon out, uh, they've got two running backs that are doing everything you could ask for in Matt Breida and uh, Raheem Mostart. Uh, just really like what uh, what I've seen out of the uh, 49ers so far. Uh, what's your third takeaway? My third takeaway is Lamar Jackson is coming out with a vengeance this year. He wants to prove everybody wrong. You know, week one, he threw for 324 yards with five touchdowns. And in week two, 272 yards with two touchdowns. And granted, the defenses he played against were the Dolphins and the Cardinals, which isn't great. But I do think Lamar Jackson is is trying to just prove everybody wrong, saying he's not going to be a great quarterback. He's not going to develop into a good quarterback. So I'm very excited to see what else he has up his sleeve for the season. Yeah, and uh, one thing that we did see last week that we didn't see in week one is uh, is the rushing. Uh, he had 120 rushing yards uh, against uh, against the Cardinals. So if he can go out and just be that dual threat quarterback that a lot of people thought he could be, uh, the the AFC may have uh, a problem on their hands. All right, so uh, let's get into our pick five segment. Uh, we're going to discuss our uh, five favorite games for uh, for week three. Uh, week three. Uh, so I have two games, you have two games, and then we will uh, we will take the Monday night football game. So uh, my first one is the Houston Texans at the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, it's a matchup of two teams that I think a lot of people were expecting more out of early in the season. Uh, both teams have not looked nearly as good as we had thought. Uh, Philip Rivers, I think, misses Melvin Gordon. Uh, I, I think even though Austin Heckler leads, uh, leads the NFL in rushing after two weeks, uh, there's just something about Melvin Gordon's game that – brings out the best in Philip Rivers. Uh, and, and Deshaun Watson, uh, I think lo- losing Laramie Tunsil in the middle of last week's game, 
uh, hurt him a little bit. They were able to come out on top of Jacksonville when Jacksonville decided to uh, go for two uh, in the final seconds to try and win the game instead of send it to overtime. So they got away with one. Uh, they could very easily be sitting at 0-2. Uh, they go into uh, L.A., and I think we see the road team come out on top here, and I have the Houston Texans beating the Chargers. You know, I have to disagree with you on that one. I think that the Chargers are actually going to come out on top on this one. You know, like you said, Austin Eckler right now is leading the league in rushing. And even though, you know, the the Chargers are a little bit strapped on offense in terms of what they're dealing with with injuries and with Melvin Gordon not playing, I do think that Phillip Rivers and Austin Eckler will be enough to take on the Texans. I mean, their defense, the Texans defense is not what it was a couple of years ago. It's not is is demanding or it's it's not shutting down nearly as much. And I think, you know, you're going to see that aside from the one, the, the one play stopping uh, Leonard Fournette from the two point conversion, the, the, the Texans, they've been pretty, They've been pretty weak to the run game, so I think Austin Eckler is going to be able to take advantage of that. All right, so uh, what's your first game? Uh, my first game is going to be talking about Lamar Jackson, the Chiefs, and the Ravens. Uh, this should be a good one. <laughs> this game, I it's almost giving me AFC Championship flashbacks of last year. When the Patriots played the Chiefs, it was an amazing, an amazing game. It came down to literally the final minutes in the final seconds of that game. And that game didn't even, wasn't even lost for the Chiefs based on a poor play. It was based off of a bad timeout call at the wrong time. And I really think that this is going to be the game where Lamar Jackson can prove himself. So if he wins, I think he is now on a, I want to say he's on a mission to try to win league MVP, but you know, it's going to be a tough game. So in order for the, I'm picking the the chiefs in this game, but the Ravens could come out on top if their defense can step up big. I think their offense is going to show up. I think Lamar Jackson is going to show up. I think that they're going to put up the numbers to compete with the Chiefs, but I think that if if their defense doesn't doesn't come come ready and prepared for what the Chiefs are going to throw at them, no pun intended, then I don't think the Ravens are going to win. So I'm taking the Chiefs in that one. Uh, I'm also going to take the Chiefs. Uh, I do think, uh, like you said, who, whichever quarterback either plays better or comes out of this game victorious uh, does have the uh, the early edge in in, uh, in the MVP race. Uh, I just think that Baltimore has had two really weak teams, and I still don't know if we have seen what the the Ravens actually are. Uh, they, they've played against the, the the Cardinals and the Dolphins. Uh, the Cardinals who were the worst team in the NFL last year 
and the Dolphins, who are the worst team in the NFL this year. So uh, we've already seen Kansas City have uh, ha- have a tough task against the Jacksonville defense. Uh, I-, I do like KC in this game. Uh, my second game that I would like to pick is the Los Angeles Rams going into Cleveland for Sunday night football and taking on the Browns. Uh, the Browns were able to take her business against just a, a, a decimated New York Jets team. Uh, I think that they did what they needed to do. It, maybe they we, we could have seen more. And I think because we, we still haven't seen who the Browns really are. Now, I'm expecting this to be a, a very raucous crowd. Uh, the, those, the, the Cleveland fans are so passionate, uh, especially when they think they have a, a good team. And I think that they do believe that. Uh, but th- this is, I, I think, an opportunity for the Rams defense to just ball out. The Cleveland offensive line is not good. Uh, I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on Mayfield. And I just think that the the Rams are going to be uh, able to outcoach the the Browns too. I I have the Rams going in and beating Cleveland. Yeah, that's that's an easy pick. I, I have the Rams over the Browns as well. But I'm not going to count the Browns out entirely. You know, the the one thing that I've noticed from the last couple of week, weeks of watching the Browns games is they're not getting Jarvis Landry as involved in the offense as I think they should. You're seeing a lot more targets go to OBJ and everybody else where, you know, Jarvis Landry is only having maybe four or five targets a game. And the rest of the plays, uh, you're not having a ton of run plays, so everything else is going to OBJ. I think... The key for the Browns to win this game is get Jarvis Landry involved. Don't necessarily use him as a deep threat. Use him as, you know, quick little screen passes just to get it out of the backfield and let him do the work from there. Because I think Jarvis Landry is talented enough to make the plays, and I think he's talented enough that and fast enough that he can beat the Rams' defense but it, it's on Baker Mayfield and the offensive calls to get Jarvis Landry involved like that. So until the Browns prove to me that, you know, they're going to get Jarvis Landry involved in more plays and they're, they're going to stop just going after OBJ, because eventually it's going to come down to, okay, well, they're not throwing to anybody. We're just going to cover to OBJ and that's it. So until then, I am going with the, with the Rams on this one. All right. Uh, what's your second game? My second game is the Lions and the Eagles. Uh, you know, the Eagles were automatically considered, you know, one of the favorites to go back to the Super Bowl and to be one of the best playoff contenders. And right now they're sitting at one and one where they lost to the Falcons. And it's because the Eagles are riddled with injuries. Um, you know, you have Carson Wentz who came off for a few plays after getting checked for a concussion. You have Deshaun Jackson, who's out for at least two to three weeks, you know, it, it's, it's a rough time for the Eagles. And I think, you know, with the Lions being one Oh and one and the Eagles being one and one, I think this is going to be a very good game. And 
for this one, I'm actually going to take the Lions because I think that their defense has the potential to be really solid. And I think, you know, Matt Patricia might not be the greatest head coach, but he certainly was a very good defensive coach when he was with the Patriots, for what it's worth. And I think that being able to have that mindset going into a game like this, being able to take advantage of a weakened Eagles offense, I think that's what's going to give the Lions the edge in this game. And uh, we will have a disagreement on this one. Um, I just don't think the Lions are that good. Uh, we, we saw them have a, a pretty good fourth quarter uh, last week. Uh, I just don't think they utilize their weapons in a way that really shows what they can be. Now, uh, I'm very interested to see how they utilize Kerryon Johnson this week. Uh, they did release CJ Anderson. Uh, so it, I, I'm expecting full steam ahead for Kerryon Johnson to become the real bell cow of that team. Uh, but uh, as far as the Eagles are concerned, yes, they are riddled with injuries. They're also one of the deeper teams in the league. Uh, we're expecting Alshon Jeffrey not to play. Uh, they do have Nelson Aguilar, who is probably still kicking himself in the butt for dropping that pass that would have given them the lead in uh, in the final minute of the game against. Now, how he got that wide open, I have no idea what the Falcons were doing, but he had the game in his hands and dropped it. Uh, so I, I look for him to have a big uh, bounce back game. And the the player that I like to see or, or that I, I think the Eagles are going to feature, especially with Dallas Goddard uh, questionable in the game, I think Zach Ertz is going to have a huge game. Uh, I, I, we've seen him be Carson Wentz's favorite target. So I, I really think that, that Zach Ertz is in for a really big game. And I think the the – the defensive front of Philly is going to uh, to take it to uh, the Lions. So I uh, I will go with uh, with the Eagles. Then we have Monday Night Football uh, with uh, with Chicago going into Washington. I'm not expecting uh, a, a disagreement here. Uh, this is uh, it's all about Chicago. Absolutely, and you hit the nail on the head. It it's not even going to be Chicago's offense that wins in this game. It is going to be their defense. Yep. So I also take Chicago in that game. Yeah. Uh, this is, it's a very poor Washington offense. Um, and the, the, the bears defense is just, it's, they're still one of the best in the league. Uh, I don't see uh, Washington being able to put up more than 10 points against this, uh, this team. And we, we all know that I'm not a fan of uh, Mitch Trubisky, uh, but I do think that he will be able to do enough for Chicago uh, to, to take the win. 
my uh, my top FanDuel picks of the week. Uh, gave you a couple good ones last week, especially with uh, with Josh Allen, who was able to go uh, ham all over the Giants. Uh, my quarterback of the week, uh, 7,200, is Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I, when uh, in my uh, takeaways, I said uh, I, I thought the 49ers were for real. Uh, Garoppolo has looked really good. Uh, he's got Debo Samuel. He's got Marquise Goodwin. He's got Dante Pettis, who is really having a tough time finding his way onto the field. Uh, they have George Kittle at tight end. They've got two running backs that can uh, that that can make plays out of the backfield. And at only 7,200 against Pittsburgh, I, I really like that. Uh, my running back play of the week is uh, is Frank Gore, especially if uh, Devin Singletary is out, which it looks like right now it's leaning towards him being out for this week. Uh, Frank Gore is only at 5,700. Now, it may be inefficient. We, we may see 25 carries for 81 yards, but I, I do think we get at least one touchdown out of Frank Gore. Uh, my top two receiver plays. Uh, now, these, these are the, the inexpensive ones. Uh, I like Randall Cobb uh, with uh, the Cowboys going against the Dolphins. Michael Gallup is out for a couple weeks. Randall Cobb sitting there at 5,500. Uh, I really like that play. And John Brown, uh, he just continues to be the number one quarterback for uh, wide receiver for uh, for Josh Allen in Buffalo. Uh, they get the privilege of playing Cincy this week, uh, and he's sitting at 5,900. So got got to love that price. Uh, at tight end, Will Disley, uh, 5,400. There aren't a lot of targets in uh, in Seattle. Will Disley is looking to be one, especially in the red zone, uh, one of the uh, one of the top targets. He had, he's coming off a two touchdown game, uh, sitting at fifty four hundred. Uh, tight end may be a position I look to pay up for this week, especially uh, someone like uh, Zach Ertz, who I was talking about earlier. Uh, really loved that play. Um, and then at defense, defense I'm paying up for this week. Uh, the, the two main slate defenses, if you're playing, uh, the Sunday, Monday slate, uh, you can add the bears into this one, but, uh, if you're playing the main slate, uh, we're looking at the Cowboys and Patriots, both at 5,000, the two most expensive, uh, defenses on the board this week, uh, got the Cowboys going up against the Dolphins. And the Patriots going up against the Jets, who are on their uh, on their third uh, quarterback. Uh, it, it's it's going to be tough to pass up either one of those two. All right, so that will do it for this week's episode of the Zero Technique Podcast. Uh, Jared, where can our listeners find you on uh, on social media and uh, where they can find all of your content? So as always, you can got, you guys can find me at J- journalist J zero on Twitter. Uh, all of my articles from backsportspage.com go up there. You can also find me under the featured writer section on backsportspage.com, and you can find me on Facebook, and it's just Jared Zero. So all my articles are on there as well. 
and feel free to give them a give them a nice look over and feel free to leave a comment and let me know what you guys think. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at rstern33. Uh, the show is on Twitter at zero tech pod. And again, uh, we're brought to you by backsportspage.com. Check us out. Uh, go to twitter.com. Uh, did I really just say twitter.com? Oy. Uh, on, on Twitter at backsportspage, uh, Instagram, Facebook, everything uh, at backsportspage. Uh, and make sure you're subscribing to the Backsports page uh, podcast network uh, on Apple Podcasts, uh, on Spotify. Make sure you're subscribing so that you get all of our great shows coming to you right away. So uh, until we meet next week, Jared, hope you have a great one and enjoy uh, this week's uh, NFL slate. Absolutely. You as well, my friend.